Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are my People of the Book. Welcome back to another show, and get your pens and paper ready, because today is another roundup of what you should be looking for when you walk into a bookshop, when you're looking for something to read. And there's also a couple of books that I'll give you at the end for those of you who read specifically on Kindle. I don't think the books that I'm going to tell you about at the end of the show are actually available in physical book form. They are specifically Kindle copies. I'll leave those to the end of the show. But there are three of them. They, three of them? I'm just having a look. Yes, three of them. They are really good reads. And those are, as I say, specifically Kindle copies. But for the rest of them, you'll be able to get them in a bookshop, order them online, however it is that you get your reading material. For the most of them, I have actually read them. There might be one or two that I haven't. They are doing the rounds at the moment, really popular books on a few of the bestseller lists. And these are the books that people are talking about. These are the ones that you'll see probably on the display counters in your bookshops, wherever it is that you shop, whether, as I say, whether it's online, I know, don't know what people prefer these days. So without further ado, let's get into it. So the first one, and I think I've actually spoken about this before on the show, but it's got particular relevance at the moment. It's a book called Looking for Jane. And as I said, I think when I mentioned it before, I hadn't actually read it. Now I have. And it's a book about... Canada, and you don't get many books based in Canada, so it's it's based on fact, but it is actually a, a fiction, a debut novel. It's by Heather Marshall, and it's about an underground abortion network. And as I said, particular relevance with the overturning of the Roe versus Wade rule, ruling in um, America recently. That was from 1973, which was recently overturned. And this is, as I said, a debut novel. It's about three women whose lives are bound together by a long-lost letter, a mother's love. And it is about a secret network of women fighting for the right to choose. It's inspired by true stories. And it opens in 2017. A character by the name of Angela discovers a letter, contains life-shattering, a life-shattering confession in a stack of forgotten mail. She works in an antique shop and she finds a pile of forgotten mail in one of the items in the shop and she opens this letter and she decides that she's going to find the intended recipient of the letter and she begins to do some research a search that actually takes her back to the 1970s when a group of women were operating an illegal underground abortion network in Toronto known only by its code name, which was Jane, which then takes us back to 1971 and a teenager, well, her name was Evelyn Taylor. She becomes a doctor, but back then she was sent to a home for what was known as fallen women, 
where she was forced to give up her baby for adoption and it brings to mind those uh, baby laundries in Ireland and it's a trauma she never recovers from and despite police raids, constant threats of arrest, she joins the Jane Network as someone, a doctor who provides abortions and she's determined to give other women the choice that she never had. In 1980 then, after discovering a shocking secret about her own family history, Nancy Mitchell is 20 years old and she starts to question things that she didn't know about her family. And when she unexpectedly becomes pregnant, she feels like she has no one to turn to for help. And she locates Jane, this um, elusive Jane, and she finds a place working with Dr. Taylor within this Jane network but she can't escape these lies that haunt her. And this book is, an, it's really a fascinating book. It weaves together the lives of these three women and uh, looking for Jane. It's an incredible, unforgettable debut about the devastating consequences that come from a lack of choice and the enduring power of a mother's love. And one can only wonder with that overturning of the Roe versus Wade ruling, whether we're going to return to the world of Jane Networks in the not too distant future. More after this. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz and you're listening to People of the Book. And today I am doing a roundup of what you should be reading, what you should be looking for when you go into a bookshop wondering what there is out there for you to read, what you should be getting stuck into. And I'm just giving you basically a, a list of what's popular at the moment, what's new, what's what everyone's talking about um, in the, the book world. And the first book I chatted about before that break was Looking for Jane, which is, I mean, I don't think there could be a more timely book. Um, unintentionally, uh, it's about an undercover abortion network that was doing the rounds back in the early 70s and 80s uh, called You Literally Needed to Whisper Around and Say That You Were Looking for Jane. And one only wonders whether that is something that is going to crop up again and reoccur in the not-too-distant future. The next book is something that was extremely popular when I was recently in London. It is out here. I have seen it, but uh, not, not creating such a stir as it did there. It was huge when I was there. I think I was there during Mental Health Month, which was why this book was so popular and really doing it was on all the bestseller lists. It's a book called Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. It is the main theme is about mental health. It's about a woman called Martha who knows from when she's very young that there is something wrong with her, but she doesn't know what it is. Her husband Patrick thinks she's fine. He says everyone has something, and that's the thing that just is to keep going. And Martha has told Patrick from when, before they got married, that she didn't want to have children. And he says he didn't mind either way because he's loved her since he was 14 years old. And making her happy is all that matters, although he just doesn't seem able to do that. And by the time Martha actually finds out what is wrong, it doesn't actually matter anymore. And it's too late to get the only thing she's ever wanted. Or maybe it turns out that you actually can't stop loving someone and start again from nothing if you can find something else to want. 
And a very uh, poignant quote from the book is, everything is broken and messed up and completely fine. That is what life is. It's only the ratios that change, usually on their own. And this is a very unassuming little book. It's called Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. As I said, it was creating a huge stir when I was in London recently. Uh, it is available here. You might have to search for it. But um, as I said, you can actually get the book. And the main theme is mental health and the breakdown of mental health. So that if that's a trigger for you, then uh, yeah, just be warned about that. The next book uh, out there, and it's also quite popular, getting really great reviews, is a book called The Golden Couple. It's by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen, who often write together. And it's, I've read it, it's really good. I don't want to give any spoilers, but twists and turns and you actually start reading and you reach a point in the book where you think, what is actually going on and who are these people? It's about a wealthy Washington couple. They are just normal suburbanites. Uh, Marissa and Matthew Bishop, they seem to have it all. They create that aura of beauty, smooth, calm, you know, that, that veneer. And Marissa is unfaithful to her husband one day. And there's, there's a relationship um, that they were, they're hard workers, but there's, there's just a lack, a lack of intimacy between the two of them. But she really wants to to repair things. She wants them to stay together. They have an eight-year-old son and she claims that she loves her husband and she really wants this relationship to work. And she hears about a therapist by the name of Avery Chambers. However, Avery is a therapist who's actually lost her professional license, but doesn't stop her from still counseling those who are in crisis. She has extremely unorthodox methods and there have been newspaper and magazine articles written about her, which is how Marissa comes to know about her. Her rule of thumb is that whoever comes to see her and seeks her counsel has to stick to her very unorthodox methods. But the bishops are desperate and they go and see her, they the description is they glide through Avery's door and Marissa immediately reveals the reason why they're there and that is her infidelity and the three of them are set on a collision course because truly the biggest secrets in the room are still hidden and it becomes clear that it's no longer simply their marriage that's in danger. This is the most, it's such a clever book and as I said, you'll, you'll read it and you'll reach a point in the book where you'll think, what is actually going on? And you, you'll realize that there are far bigger problems than uh, just a wife who was um, unfaithful to her husband. It's so good. It's The Golden Couple by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekkanen. And if you like twisty and dark and deep, then 12 Secrets by Robert Gold. I can recommend this one to you as well. It's the first book in what is going to be a series. And it's about Ben Harper. 
and he's the main character. The series is going to be about him. He's a true crime journalist, and he is about to unravel his most shocking story yet, and it's his own story. The day his older brother was murdered was the day Ben Harper's life changed forever. This happened when Ben was just a little boy. It's one of the most shocking crimes in national history. Nick and his friend were stabbed to death by two girls who were their own age. And the police called the killings random, a senseless tragedy. And 20 years later, Ben is one of the best true crime journalists in the country. He's left his past behind thanks to the support of his close-knit hometown community. But when he learns about a fresh murder case that might have links to his brother's death, his life is turned upside down once more, and he soon finds himself caught in a web of lies that implicate everyone around him. On his quest for answers, Ben discovers one very important truth, that everyone has secrets. And really, in this book, everyone does truly has secrets. Some secrets are deadlier than others. And in this book, everyone is hiding something. It is, as I said, twisty and dark and another book where you reach a point and you think, wow, what is this about? Where is it going? Where is it heading? You just don't know. And highly recommended. 12 Secrets by Robert Gold. I hope you are taking note of these titles. There are more to come. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I have been giving you some titles of books that everyone's talking about, books that are on the bestseller lists at the moment, and books that are generally just doing the rounds and are just gaining in popularity. And as I said, that's what people are talking about. These are the ones that the book clubs are buying and are just generally popular in reading circles at the moment. So if you're looking for something to read, these are suggestions that I am giving you today. So while we're on the subject of twisty and dark, here's another one for you. The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. And her most recent book was also was called The Guest List. And I think that was also really popular. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author. And this is what they call a locked room mystery. It's set in a Paris apartment building, mm, title might be a bit of a giveaway, in which every resident has something to hide. The main protagonist is someone by the name of Jess, and she's looking for a fresh start. She's broke and alone, and she's just left her job under less than ideal circumstances. Her half-brother, Ben, didn't sound too thrilled when she asked if she could crash with him for a bit, but he didn't say no. And surely everything looks better from Paris. But when she shows up to discover a very nice apartment and she wonders how Ben really could have afforded that, he's not there. She told him she was arriving. He said she could pitch up whenever, but he isn't there when she gets there. It turns out he's missing. And the longer he stays missing, the more Jess starts to dig into her brother's situation and the more questions she begins to have. His neighbours are a bit of an eclectic bunch and not particularly friendly. Jess may have come to Paris to escape her past, 
but it's starting to look like it's Ben's future that's in question. There's a socialite, there's a nice guy, there's an alcoholic, and there's a girl who might be on the verge of who knows what. And there's the concierge who stays tucked away in a bit of a hut. Everyone's a neighbor, everyone's a suspect, and everyone knows something they're not telling. Where is Ben? What's happened to him? Is he going to show up? Is Jess going to find out the answers to all the questions she has? This is The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. It's a four-star read, I'd say. Uh, it's a bit of a page-turner. You'll want to know what's, ha- what's happened. You'll stay up to read this one. And I would recommend it if you like this type of read. So, yeah, go out and get this one. The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. On a lighter note... It's not quite as fluffy as one would initially think it is. It's a book called The No Show by Beth O'Leary. And this one is, I mean, it's got a fun, quirky, light-hearted cover. And you might think it's a bit of a rom-com. And it's, it is actually described as a, a new rom-com. And that is what she writes. But it's got a lot of deeper meaning to it. And it's it's... A really, really clever book. As I said, no spoilers. I don't want to give anything away. But it's a lot cleverer than you might initially think when you pick it up. And also a lot cleverer than you might think when you hear the description. So it's about three women. Siobhan, a quick-tempered life coach who just has way too much on her own plate. Miranda is a tree surgeon who's used to being treated as just one of the guys on the job. And Jane is a soft-spoken volunteer for the local charity shop who has absolutely no sense of her own self-worth. These three women are strangers. They only have one thing in common. They've all been stood up on the same day, the very worst day to be stood up, and that is Valentine's Day. And unbeknownst to them, they've all been stood up by the same man. But once they've each forgiven him for standing them up, They let him back into their lives and they're in serious danger of falling in love with a man who seems to have not just one or two, but three women on the go. Is there more to him than meets the eye? Will they each untangle the truth before they all get their hearts broken? Three women who seemingly have nothing in common find that they're involved with the same man in this smart new rom-com from Beth O'Leary and... If you know who she is, if you are a lover of her books, you'll know that her previous book was called The Flat Share, also very popular, did really well. And as I said, there's more to this book than meets the eye. It's a lot cleverer and a lot deeper than it seems. It's not just light-hearted fluff. It's not chiclet. I don't enjoy that expression, but it isn't really that, although it might appear to be. And I do highly recommend this one. It's called The No Show, and it's by Beth O'Leary. Something a bit different is a book called Impossible by Sarah Lotz. Now, Sarah Lotz often writes very dark, quite creepy books. And this is, as I said, called The Impossible Us. You might find it on the shelves or if you're looking online, simply titled Impossible. And that is how it's actually described. It's not a love story. It's impossible. It's about Nick, 
who's a failed writer, a failed husband, and a dog owner, and B, who is a serial data, a dressmaker, and a Pringles enthusiast. Yes, Pringles, those, you know, those crisps that come in a tube. It's not an ad for Pringles. And one day, their paths cross over a misdirected email. The connection is instant. It's electric. And they feel like they've known each other all their lives. Yes, over an email. Nick buys a new suit. He gets on a train. And B steps away from her desk and sets off to meet him under their arranged place, the clock at Euston Station. Do you think you know how the rest of the story goes? They did too. But this is a story with more twists than most. This is impossible. Like I said, this is very, very different. Um, not as dark as Sarah Lotz usually writes. It's not, she usually writes with a touch of horror. This isn't horror. It's, there's no other way to describe it other than different. And if you like that kind of thing, quirk and it's not, I wouldn't describe it as dystopian, but it's alternative. So if you're looking for something alternative and something that you might enjoy, then impossible is for you. The next one is um, something, uh, I think they call it contemporary literature. I'm not sure how they would classify this. It's a book called Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. And uh, those who know me know I love all things Irish. This one takes place in Northern Ireland. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, that's that's classified as, as UK. So, but, but Northern Ireland, still Irish. And... Um, during the time of the Troubles, and I know when I was much younger, I was quite intrigued by that era, that time of, of the bombings, and I know I have spoken about this before. I wouldn't say I was obsessed with it, but, but the time where, you know, you know, neighbours were pitched against neighbours and you either stayed in a Catholic area or a Protestant area, but there were... Catholics living in Protestant areas and vice versa, and it was it was a really difficult time to be to be living in Northern Ireland, and this is about a, a young lady by the name of Kushla. There's nothing special about the day. Kushla meets Michael, who is a married man from Belfast. Kushla is working in a pub owned by her family, but it's a place where love is never far from violence. And the encounter between the two of them changes their lives forever. As people get up each morning and go to work, school, church or the pub, the daily no news rolls in of another car bomb exploded, another man beaten, killed or left for dead. In the class Kushla teaches, the vocabulary of seven-year-old children now includes phrases like petrol bomb and rubber bullets. And as she is forced to tread lines she never thought she would cross, tensions in the town are escalating, threatening to destroy all she is working to hold together. This is a quite a shocking but unforgettable debut of people trying to live ordinary lives in extraordinary times. So as I said, set in Northern Ireland um, in 1975, it's a small in a small town just outside of Belfast. And, you know, at, th at that time, 
you two were were making a name for themselves and I've actually been lucky enough to visit Dublin I'm obviously not in Northern Ireland there's a place in Dublin called the Little Museum and the top floor is dedicated entirely to you two they are the sons of Ireland and it's you know if you're, you're interested in that era of history it's it's a place that, that has to be visited and studied. It's a fascinating place. And this this story, this this book, Trespasses, it's dark and it's moody. And, you know, that was what it was like back then. You woke up every morning to, to news of another attack, another bombing. And, you know, the victim could be someone you knew and it was someone your neighbour knew, someone, someone close to you knew who was involved and the people just had to carry on living normal lives and it was moment by moment and that's that's the way it was back then. So so Kushla, she's living with her alcoholic mother, she's working in, in the family-owned pub and she's teaching at the local Catholic school and she gets involved with this man, Michael, who walks into the family pub one evening, but he's Protestant and he's very outspoken about what's happening in the country, the political scene in the country, the scenario, what's happening in the country. But she's very taken with this man because he's, he's sophisticated, he's mature. And although she's a Catholic living in what is predominantly a Protestant part of town and responsible for her mentally quite fragile mother, she is quite aware that she's living her life on a tightrope, which adds to the tension of the book. And it's a deeply moving, very tragic book. It's not light, it's not comfortable. It's dark in a different way from the other books that I've been talking about. And um, if this is something that, that you'd be interested to read, I would highly recommend Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. Onto something slightly lighter again. If you remember a couple of years back, there was a beautiful book doing the rounds, so popular, called The Authenticity Project. It was by Claire Pooley, and she has come out with a new book, which I think is going to be equally popular. It's The People on Platform 5. And when you use public transport, um, probably not so much in this country, although I think it would, would most definitely still apply. I think it applies. I think it's a global rule. When using public transport, uh, they tell you don't make eye contact with anyone. You just you don't make eye contact with strangers. Nobody talks to strangers on the train, on any public transport, a globally accepted rule. But what would happen if you did talk to the strangers? What, what would happen? You know, if you use daily transport, if you have the same route you're going to work every day, you're obviously going to see the same people every day on that route, aren't you? And this is a book about what happens when those strangers start to engage. What actually happens? So, and the main protagonist is actually a, a woman by the name of Iona. She is a larger-than-life magazine advice columnist and she travels the 10 stops from Hampton Court to Waterloo Station by train, accompanied by her dog, Lulu. 
And every day she sees the same people and she gives them all nicknames. And I love that because I think it's something many of us do. She sees someone who she calls impossibly pretty constant reader. She sees terribly lonely teenager. But of course, they never speak because seasoned commuters don't do that. And then one morning, the man who she calls smart but sexist manspreader chokes on a grape right in front of her. And he would have died were it not for the timely intervention of Sanjay, who is a nurse, and he gives him the Heimlich maneuver. And that single event starts off a chain reaction and this eclectic group of people with almost nothing in common except this daily commute discover that a chance encounter can blossom into so much more. And it turns out that talking to strangers can teach you about the world around you and possibly even more about yourself. And it's just the most gorgeous book. If you love The Authenticity Project, I can guarantee you you're going to enjoy this one. It's it's uplifting, it's moving, it's, there are light-hearted moments, there are moving moments, there's poignancy, there's emotion, there's everything in this book. And all the characters, everyone's, everyone's got pain and everyone's got something that, that they are hiding about themselves, that they, they don't want to share with others, whether it's the other people on the train, whether it's their own families, the people who are close to them. And Claire Pooley has a way of bringing out the best characteristics in her characters. Not too quickly. She, she does it slowly. She paces her book so perfectly. And she's just such a beautiful storyteller. And her characters are all... You, you just... You have such empathy for her characters. You want them... They're the type of people who you think you could actually befriend and you can picture yourself going out and having coffee and chatting to them. And she addresses really relevant themes, grief and cyberbullying and gaslighting and, you know, how people were treated many years ago and are still being treated today for being other and so relevant and themes that are always going to be relevant really go and buy this book it's the people on platform five by claire pooley i hope you are finding something among these titles that appeals to you there are still more to come I love it when you read to me. this is people of the book with janice Liebowitz. You are listening to People of the Book, and today I am giving you some book suggestions. What is popular? What's on the bestseller list? What should you be reading? What should you look for when you walk into a bookshop? If you're looking up for something online, what should you be buying? What's popular? What's out there? Here are some suggestions for you. I hope that so far something has appealed to you out of the book's the book titles that I've given you so far. I still have a few more. And my next one, if you haven't heard of it, then I don't know, maybe you've been living under a rock. It's the, well, I want to say the latest book from Lucinda Riley. Um, unfortunately, as we all know, she lost her battle with cancer last year. And her son, Harry Whitaker, 
explains how the publication of this book, which is called The Murders at Fleet House, came to be. It was actually written in 2006, while her children were still quite young. And with a couple of her other books, like The Olive Tree and The Butterfly Room, Lucinda had undertaken quite extensive rewrites. These were manuscripts that she claims she found you know, hidden in a drawer that she had written many years previously. And that wasn't the case with this book. And he had he had battled with the decision of whether he should actually release this book as she hadn't done all the, the extensive rewrites that she'd done with the others before she published them. And he didn't know whether it was his responsibility to edit them, adapt them, update the text as she may have wanted to do. And he, he contemplated this for a long time, but he then felt that preserving his mother's voice would, would um, he felt the readers and, and the family would, that should take precedence. And with that in mind, only the bare minimum of editorial work was undertaken. So the murders of Fleet House is predominantly Lucinda Riley's work from 2006. And I have to say, I know many people were disappointed with The Missing Sister, which was, it's not the last in the Seven Sister series because there's still a book to come, which is called Atlas. I think that's coming next year, which is about the father of the Seven Sisters, Pa Salt. But I know there was great disappointment in The Missing Sisters and, and the writing of that and the story and the way it was written. The Murders at Fleet House, however, is a return to the writing of old and the old Lucinda Riley books. It's fabulous. It's one of those unputdownable page turners. And it's, it's actually very different from all her other books. It's a suspenseful, compelling crime novel and it's it's really it's a great story and it's about the the death of a pupil at Fleet House in um, in St Stephen's it's a small private boarding school in the deepest countryside of Norfolk and this is obviously a shocking event and the headmaster wants to call it a tragic accident but the local police can't rule out foul play and the case prompts the return of high-flying detective inspector Jazz Hunter to the force. She has recently stepped away from her police career in London, and she reluctantly agrees to front the investigation as a favour to her old boss. And I have to say, reading the book, it's quite obvious that the intention was for this to be the first in a series about this character, Jazz Hunter. She is fabulous. She's feisty and she's she's a tough cookie and she's just this amazing, um, strong female lead. So Jazz is reunited with her loyal sergeant, Alistair Miles, and she enters the close world of this private boarding school. And as she begins to probe the circumstances surrounding Charlie Cavendish's tragic death, Events take a very troubling turn. He's actually exposed, this, this boy, as an arrogant bully. And those around him had motive and opportunity to switch the medication that he took daily that controlled his epilepsy. But as often happens in places like this, the staff close ranks 
and the disappearance of a young pupil by the name of Rory and the death of an elderly classics master provide her with very important leads. But this is also destined to complicate the investigation further. It's, you know, the cold sets in, it's winter, there's snow, another suspect goes missing, Jazz has her own personal demons, and it, it just becomes the most challenging murder investigation of her case because this boarding school, Fleet House, has secrets darker than Jazz and the police force could ever have imagined. As I said, this is really a return to the Lucinda Riley of old that, that everyone enjoyed, and I highly recommend it if you haven't read this yet. So it's, it's really a great read. One that I also highly recommend is a book called A Tidy Ending by Joanna Cannon. I couldn't put this down. This is also so twisty and so it's it's such a clever, clever book. It's about um, a, a lady by the name of Linda. She, I think she would be described as being on the spectrum. She's a strange character. She lives a very unassuming life with her husband, Terry, and they live on this middle-class estate. They've lived there for a few years. They moved recently to a different house on the estate, similar to their old house, maybe a bit larger, one or two tweaks. It caught Linda's eye while she did her daily walks, and she convinced her husband it was time for a change. And, you know, states like these, they've got their variety of personalities, the local gossip, the people you stay out of your way, you know, you, you avoid them. But generally good um, camaraderie that you find at the local pub that they generally, they regularly frequent, um, possibly Terry more than Linda. And um, she has a part-time job in a charity shop. Um, she is fastidious, obsessive about cleaning her house. And she likes to page through the, the glossy catalogues that still arrive in the mail for the previous tenant. And she has this rather small life, but she's quite convinced that there's more waiting out there for her. But the regular life on the estate is interrupted when the body of a young woman is found nearby, and it's revealed that she's been murdered. So the estate is a buzz. With fear, with gossip, could there be a serial killer in their midst? Who is it? And she's fully aware of what's going on around her because she's been through quite a similar, uneasy situation before. She and her mother, a hypercritical woman, she's not a nice character, had fled Wales years previously after alleged accusations against Linda's father that it escalated. And Joanna Cannon is such a clever author. She cleverly weaves that backstory into the plot and she hints and alludes to it right through the book. You never quite know what happened, but, but it's just hinted at. And the atmosphere on the estate becomes more fraught and um, Linda's OCD tendencies escalate and she, she tries to pursue this previous owner of the house that they're living in. She's not a people's person. She doesn't make friends easily. She doesn't actually have any friends to speak of. And she, she can't read the room. She, as I say, she's, she would be described as being on the spectrum. And her own analysis of her interactions with the people she meets, they're a cross between absolutely laugh-out-loud cringeworthy 
and a feeling of wanting to gently just put your arms around her and lead her away saying you know they're there it's going to be okay and you know it does it's also it shows the author's understanding of mental health issues and the further you read the more you come to realize it it's a slow burning thriller mystery and a sinister sense of unease builds slowly page by page and you you're reading it with breathless anticipation and you you are just desperate to know what's going on and what's going to happen and it reminds us that, that sometimes things might be glaringly obvious but we don't necessarily see them if we're not expecting them and aren't looking for them and the best place to hide is sometimes in plain sight it's a brilliant exceptionally clever five-star read and I just can't recommend this one highly enough it's a tidy ending by Joanna Cannon I will be back to wrap up and I'll give you those Kindle titles as well I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz and you are listening to People of the Book. Today I've been giving you some suggestions of what to read. Now I always get asked, what's, what's good? What's, what do you suggest? What should I read? I'm looking for a good book. Well, today I've given a whole heap of suggestions, so I hope that there has been something amongst those that you have found that appeals to you. Um, And here are, as promised, a couple of Kindle titles, titles that I don't think are actually available as yet in actual physical format. The first one is called The Resort by Sue Watson, and it's about three couples who meet at an exclusive resort that is called Fitzgerald's. It's uh, a resort that uh, it's a really exclusive place. It sits like a jewel on an island that is just off the Devon coast. It's only accessed via boat. It's really got a sense of privilege, and but unfortunately also a sense of cold isolation when things go wrong. And these three couples are there all for different reasons. Sam and David are on their honeymoon. David is very at home with, with luxurious surroundings, but Sam is very out of her depth. It's, she's not used to all that luxury and, and, and bling and glitz. And she's not as relaxed as he is. Daisy and Tom are at Fitzgerald's to recover from a recent trauma. And... There's, there's an undercurrent running between the two of them. There's a bit of a rift there. And Becky and Josh are spending time there to celebrate their anniversary. But uh, something not, not so kosher with the two of them either. And she seems quite scared of her own shadow and very much um, controlled by her husband. And they meet there and they, they don't know each other from, from before. And the three women form a tentative bond but there's immediate tension and a bit of one-upmanship between the men. But then disaster strikes when the, one of the, the pretty young staff members is found dead at the bottom of a cliff. And the police are brought in and there's questioning. They can't leave. And it turns out that Fitzgerald has a bit of a dark past. And the cracks that start to show lying just under the surface, the insecurities start to start to show as well. And, you know, who who murdered this waitress? What happened? How did she land up at the bottom of the cliff? And when they're all stuck there and, and 
all the all the insecurities start to to show and and you know people start to argue and it's not all as shiny and rosy as it seemed in the beginning and then what happens it's one of those yeah you just keep swiping to see what happens next brilliant read i highly recommend it that's the resort by sue watson and another one is the house sitter by ellery kane which also starts off with an elderly woman in distress. She makes a 911 call. The sound of gunshots and the line goes dead. This is about an elderly woman who has taken in um, a young woman by the name of Lydia and her partner, um, who is not the nicest character. His name is Seth. And she starts to feel a bit frail and fragile and... Very comfortable setup, but it's short-lived. She's becoming increasingly anxious and forgetful. And then there's this phone call and it's, you know, what happened? It's one of those, you also start reading and thinking, well, what is going on here? I can't see where this is going. and But you, you can't stop reading because you just want to know what is going on and where it's going. Brilliant. Highly recommend it. It's called The House Sitter by Ellery Kane. It is outstanding so these are my recommendations for you today as i said i hope you found something that appeals to you and i hope that the next time you are looking for something to read one of these will ring a bell i hope you've taken note of the titles and the authors and something will come to mind when you're looking for something to read so until next time take care of yourself take care of each other and I think it's holiday time now. So whether you are staying or going, travel safe, travel safe on the roads, be safe wherever you are and read a book.